sorry, I'm caught up in his presence right now. Caught up in that holy moment. Do you feel like you're caught up in that moment? Wasn't that a beautiful song? Really, really, really enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Heidi, for singing that. Um, being caught up where Jesus is, right? I couldn't help but thinking, are we willing to go where he is taking us in 2021? Where we're stepping into the unknown once again. There was a day the Bible talks about where Jesus takes his disciples into one of the most miserable places that they had ever visited, that they had ever seen. The despair and, and suffering is, is terrifying. The misery is almost unbearable. To the ancients, this place is known as the Pool of Bethesda. And the pool is crowded with sick and disabled people. Uh, the blind are there, the lame are there, uh, the diseased are there, uh, the paralyzed are there. Uh, it's the sounds of unconsolable cries. The stench is almost intolerable. We never think about this when we think about these places. The scene was horrendous. And there he was, this man. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him except for the fact that he had been going there for 38 years, waiting for the waters, waiting for the kindness of a stranger to pick him up and take him to the waters, waiting for the stirring, waiting for the healing. The book of John, chapter 5, verses 2 through 6, puts it this way. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And it says here, here, a great number, think about this, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, this is what he asked him, do you want to still get well? It's a curious question, isn't it? Now, why would Jesus ask this question? Do you want to get well? Like Jesus asking us, are you, are you guys ready for the pandemic to be over? Are you ready for all of this to be gone? Or do you want to break that crippling habit? Do you want to restore that relationship? Do you want to pay off that debt that keeps you imprisoned? And it's a crazy question. Do you still want to be healed? Do you want to get well? I read a book by a guy by the name of Tim Herson. It's a book called uh, Think Better. I like books like that. They help me think better. And in the book, uh, he talks about an experiment by a guy by the name of Jean Henry Fabre. 
who was a French naturalist, and he's experimenting with these uh, creatures called processionary caterpillars. Now, if you don't know anything about processionary car caterpillars, I, uh, I, I'll tell you about them. Uh, they, they have this kind of distinctive behavior. They travel in a single line to forage for food. There's a, like a lead caterpillar, and what he does is he spins a trail of silk as he crawls. And so the next person, or I should say the next caterpillar behind them, uh, follows that trail and then spins his own trail, and then the next, and the next, and they just have this long, long line. He says that there's nothing particularly distinguishing about the lead caterpillar. In fact, if you remove the lead, the next person would just, the next caterpillar would just take on the task and start, start doing the same thing. So Fabre wanted to do something really interesting. He said, what would happen if I arrange the caterpillars in a circle where there is no leader? And so he actually made this, 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 got this big special pot. It was huge, actually. And he began to put these caterpillars in there, and they began to do their thing, and then he slowly kind of... Uh, uh, got them into a, a certain way so that they would be in a big circle. And then only about 12 inches away was this food that they were forging for, but, but they're in this big circle, and so there was no leader. And they're just going around and around and around. They went for six days until they started to collapse. And it was only until the circle was broken that some of them began to look for the food. But as long as the circle was going, they were just going around and around and around following each other. He concludes with this, uh, uh, Tim Herson uh, talking about the, uh, uh, the experiment. He concludes with this statement. He says, as with the caterpillars in Fabre's experiment, Sometimes the only thing that saves us is that, thing that things go so drastically wrong that we're forced out of our procession. Anybody been feeling that way lately? Our pattern has been so counterproductive that the circle that we've created can no longer sustain itself. See, I think that no matter what you say about what has happened this past year, that God has a way to turn it to wake us up. He concludes by saying, it breaks apart with no more circle. We're forced to find new ways of doing things. We change only when we're forced to. We change only when we're forced to. I don't know about you, but I'm like that. I get into my own little circle, my own little routine, my own little habit, and sometimes I only change when I'm forced to. Am I the only one? So the invalid of Bethesda, like so many there, as if going around in a circle, was waiting for the water to be stirred. And I thought about that, and I thought, what will force us out of the counterproductive patterns, out of the circles of our lives? 
And John continues with John chapter 5, verse 7. As Jesus had asked him that question, he says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I, I want to get in, sure. You're asking me if I want to get well? Well, let me just tell you, for 38 years, I've been trying to get into that pur pool. The moment it is stirred, I want to get in. But somebody always pushes me out of the way, somebody stronger, somebody better, somebody other than me, and, and, and next thing you know, it's another year. Another week, another month, another day. And here he is stuck in the victim mindset. Have you ever been stuck in the victim mindset? So what are you waiting for? Do you want to get well? None of us are invalid here, at least not that I know of. But we've all had challenges in our lives, and certainly this year has been with challenges, isn't it? And we could either have the victim mindset, or we could, uh, we could change, step out of the circle. I've asked myself this question lately about my shortcomings. I mean, Sergio... Just going to ask me, okay, I'm going to get vulnerable here. What am I waiting for? Do I want to get well? I don't know about you, but I've struggled with resolutions lately. I still don't do re resolutions anymore. Uh, I have broken so many that I feel like, yeah, what, why bother, right? I can get so easily sidetracked for my resolutions. And here's what I've learned, that the things I get sidetracked by are never as important as the things I get sidetracked from. The things I get sidetracked by are never as important as the things that I get sidetracked from. And yet I keep falling into that same trap. It doesn't take much for me to be unsettled about my resolutions. It's one that I've had for years, going to lose weight. But any excuse will do. Anybody with me on this? You know, it's the holidays. It's too, go, too cold to go for a walk. It's too hot to go for a walk. I'm in too much pain. Hey, it's traditional to eat this food. I would have to buy a whole new wardrobe. Just one more won't matter. I've already blown it. All right, I might as well just keep doing that. Hey, these days with a mask, nobody would recognize me if I lost weight. Any excuse will do. And I want to tell you something. I'm getting to the point in my life where I no longer want what unsettles me to dictate what I settle for. So as we enter through the doorway of 2021, do I, do you, do we really truly want to get well? New Year, often time to contemplate our, our lives, to look back, consider what we might have done different, 
There's a saying we say, sometimes we say, hindsight is 20-20, right? We look back and we say, wow, I should have done it this way, or I could have done it this way. It's easier to analyze and evaluate the situation when we're looking back on them in the past than when we're in the present moment. The word hindsight refers to looking back or reflecting on things in the past, and the word 2020 refers to perfect vision. Although I would say that after, next, after last year, I don't think anybody's going to say hindsight is 2020 anymore. Just like 9-11 has lost some flavor. Some of us are waiting for the waters to stir, and some of us are waiting for someone to carry us. But Jesus says to us, as he did to the man at the pool, in John chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, I love this. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, look, I got you. The moment it's stirred, I'll pick you up, and I'll take you there. In fact, I'll even stir it for you. See, Jesus always does things unconventionally than the way we think we should do it. Well, you know, if I could just get on this diet, or if I can do it this way, or if I can, you know, God, why is it that I can't pay these bills off? And, you know, if we keep doing the same thing always and keep expecting different results, that's called insanity, right? It is impossible to imagine that this man, the, the excitement that this man had, it's, it's impossible to imagine for 38 years. Think about it. His entire life had been defined by his illness. Now he is free from it, free from the pain, free from the weakness, free from the depression, free from the, 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 the shame and guilt that he always, he, didn't, he doesn't know what to do with this. Now he does not just walk, he runs, he dances to his family, to his friends, Look at this. Everyone is rejoicing with him. Well, almost everyone. The Bible tells us that there is a group of people that is not rejoicing with them. And these are the Jewish leaders. I don't know what's up with these guys. They always get to be potty poopers, don't they? Instead, they drill them with questions as if to even disregard the miracle. I mean, this guy, just 38 years, now he's walking, he's, he's running, he's dancing. And, and, and the Jewish leaders are sitting there worrying about the fact that this was done on the Sabbath. In John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, it says, The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. If you had been healed after 38 years, would this be like something you'd be even wanting to pay attention to? If all of a sudden you're, you're springing up and your knees work well and everything is great and, and all of a sudden your pastor comes to you and says, wait a minute, this was done to you on the Sabbath. Hello. I mean, I, I would think that this guy is not even paying attention at this point. But one thing we know about him is he's respectful. So he replies, hey, listen, all I can tell you is that the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. If you want to pick it up with somebody, deal with him. <laughs> All I'm doing is obeying. 
I don't really care what day it was because I've been here for 38 years and this was the day. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that was there. A little later we find out Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. What is it about us that we twist and we warp everything God does for our benefit? I used to always struggle with the very next verse. It was very confusing. Quite honestly, I would read it and kind of be like, oh, well, that's weird, okay. It's kind of counterintuitive to who Jesus is. It's not the way Jesus operates at all. And here is the next verse, and this is really important. I, I want you to really kind of follow me on this, because I bet some of you have read this verse and have also felt the uneasiness that I have felt. And the verse goes like this. John chapter 5, verse 14 says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Now see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I don't know, does that sound, does that make you as uneasy as it made me when I read it? I mean, I remember reading this and I, I used to think that Jesus was saying, I, I just healed you, so you better shape up or I'm going to let something even worse happen to you. And here's what I know. As I talk to people, there are a ton of people out there who think that this is exactly how God works. Either we toe the line or he'll strike us down to a, with a trip to the hospital. Because he just healed us. Now get your act together. Then I remembered. How many things. Thought about this. I think how many things could, could possibly be worse. Than being disabled for 38 years. I mean, I, I, what else could you do to me? Some of you know that during this pandemic time, I was immobile, pretty much. For about two months, I could hardly walk. And, and I, I'll, I'll get vulnerable with you here. I, there were moments where I, was, I just cried. Two months. I had my legs, and I had my hands, and I could do a lot of things. I was just my back. So I can't imagine anything worse than being like that for 38 years. Then I remembered something else that Jesus said once. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Remember that? Stop sinning? Like, really? I've been an invalid for 38 years. And most of my life. I've not been to many parties. No one would touch me. I have no money. I've been a beggar. Okay, maybe, maybe I've had some resentments in my life. I guess that's a sin. Perhaps the sin of feeling sorry for myself. Like, really? Stop sinning? Like, what do you mean by that? And the more I considered and, and researched this this passage, here's what I'm convinced Jesus was actually saying. As we translate it from the Greek, it really changes. And unfortunately, 
uh, most of the translators really kind of missed the mark on this. In fact, that is the word that he uses for sin, is arimathea, or missed the mark. And at this particular moment, I, I think Jesus was saying, at, at, at this time in your life, when you have this newfound freedom, Jesus is encouraging him to, in this time, uh, that this is this moment where you are no longer disabled. This is the time of the greatest temptation that you have. Now you can move. Now you could do things. This capacity and enticement to immorality had just increased hundredfold. And this is when it gets hard. It's when you break out of the circle, when you disrupt the routine. Both, it's both exhilarating and dangerous. Jesus was warning him that he should guard his heart and be careful at this time. There's something worse, something of spiritual gravity would befall him. Are you following what I'm saying here? It wasn't like, you know, you stop sinning because you keep sinning, because it was your sin that got you there, and you do it again, your sin will going to get you back there and make it even worse. No, what Jesus was saying is, look, at this point, you're going to experience tremendous amount of freedom, and during this freedom, I just want you to know, guard your heart. I love the way the the voice puts it, the translation, uh, the voice, John chapter 5, verse 14, I think we have it, it goes like this, take a look at your body, it has been made whole and strong, so avoid a life of sin now, or else a calamity greater than any disability would befall you. They're the only ones that I think got it right, actually, of all the translations that I've read. I saw this trap snag students over and over again, students at academies, and maybe some of you can relate. They were overly sheltered, excessively protected, shielded from society, insulated from the realities of the world. You know, we want to protect our kids. I get it. But they were in a dorm life. And in dorm life, the lights went out, Somebody reminded you when to study and when to wake up. Gender at this particular, particular academy, gender was separated, sitting in church so that they wouldn't interact. Everything outside the church was really demonized. There was this artificial safeguard. They were cautioned about the kind of, any kind really, of pop culture out there. And as they graduated, they entered a life unprepared for the realities and temptations. Untrained to live the adventures of service for the kingdom of God. I believe that's been one of the reasons why our churches struggle with moving forward. Because a lot of us have developed great characters but we've not developed the individuality. We've learned how to aim really well, but we don't know how to pull the trigger. And so they graduate, and they're chomping at the bit to be unleashed. And then disaster happens. Have you, have you experienced this? You know what I'm talking about? This is what I believe Jesus was saying. Hey, be careful. 
you are now free. As we begin to leave the safeguarded ways of 2020 behind, perhaps looking forward to our newfound freedom, we would do well to heed the words of Christ ourselves, wouldn't we? Because many of us have been kind of socially distanced, we've been home, and some of us, quite frankly, let's be honest, we've kind of gotten used to that circle of being spiritual lazy. Can I say that? Is that okay? Of being apathetic. It's not your fault. This has happened. But this is the hand that we've been dealt. So what are we going to do about it? And as the restrictions go away, what are we going to do from this moment on to learn to use the freedom well to avoid the pitfalls of the new autonomy that we will be experiencing. And so what are you taking with you into 2021? And what are you leaving behind? I think there's so many amazing lessons that we could learn from what has gone on this past year. I will tell you that in many ways I've actually grown spiritually because I did not allow the restrictions to stop me from worshiping. I did not allow the restrictions to stop me from singing, from being part of serving. We have neighbors now that are studying the Bible that may never have before. Nancy's engaged in a fantastic Bible study with one of our neighbors, and they're so appreciative that we were in Portland during, during Christmas that they actually shoveled our snow while we were gone. <laughs> Yay. There are a lot of things you're going to need to do this year. There are a lot of things you can and will do. But what's one thing that you must do this coming year? Maybe just as importantly is what might keep you from doing it? And I would tell you right now, if you leave 2020 and all that it's gone, all that we've been through since then, and you go into 2021 without Jesus, you will have cre created the, most, the biggest blunder of your life. Take these next few days and weeks. Do you want to experience radical Christianity? Do you want to really be used by God to the fullest? Here's what I know. Start the year by asking God to give you discernment about where you have the greatest vulnerabilities. That takes some humility, doesn't it? Otherwise, we will spend so much energy this year fighting battles we could have avoided if we would have heeded the words of Christ if we would have learned those lessons last year. I can't force you. I can't guarantee you won't stumble or fall, but I promise this one thing. It will be a higher, deeper, broader year. You get to leave the darkness behind and turn towards the light.
Keep your eyes on Jesus and heed his word. Make the most of every moment. Laugh more this year. Serve more this year. Dance more this year. Let people know that the God you serve is the God of joy. So here we go. Once again, we step into the unknown. I want to finish with a poem that I found by accident. It's entitled, We Did Not Ask for This Room. So I will read the poem. Then Larissa will sing for us. And the poem goes like this. We did not ask for this room or this music. We were invited in. Therefore, because the darkness surrounds us, let us turn our faces toward the light. Let us endure hardship to be grateful for plenty. We have been given pain to be astounded by joy. We have been given life to deny death. We did not ask for this room or this music. But because we are here, let us dance. Happy New Year. And look forward to many more in-person services coming up here. Larissa, would you come up and share with us? Unlike Pastor Sergio, I do believe in New Year's resolutions, and I love how a lot of times what Jesus put on my heart lines exactly with what Sergio either has talked about or what we end up having a conversation about. And the word that God has placed on my heart this year for 2021 is more. I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. And I want to be more accepting that God loves me no matter what. And that's what this song is all about, that we are loved. I invite you to go ahead and stand with me as we end with our closing song. This is called I Am Loved by Mac Brock.
Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for uh, all that you give us. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just being able to guide us and, and, and your willingness to heal us. I pray, Father, that we would uh, step out of that circle, step out of our routines, and accept the invitation, Lord, to eat of the bread of life, to be with you, Lord. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sabbath. Have a great week. Hope to see more of you next week here. God bless, and we'll see you soon.